Welcome to episode number 50 of the Marine Layer podcast. We'll talk about Teoscar's post-deadline heater. We also have an apology to send out to Josh Rojas. We'll go down on the farm, take a look around baseball with our MLB wraparound. We have a Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Before we start, your reminder that if you're listening on our audio platforms, go over to YouTube, check us out on the video side, subscribe, like, comment, turn those notification bells on. And if you're watching on YouTube, go to our audio platforms too, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Make sure to follow, download our episodes, give us that five-star review. The download and the five-star review help us out big time. So go do that and then head over to social media. Check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, August 24th. And Lyle, I got to ask you because it hit home to me pretty hard. How does it feel to our brand? that the Mariners lost a game to a team that used to employ Tony LaRusa. Knife to the heart. Gut wrencher. But they actually, wait, pot, like, used to employ. They actually still do employ him, right? Isn't he an advisor now? Can you believe that? Can you believe after all those firings the White Sox made this week, the first thing they do is turn around and say, Tony LaRusa, come on back, buddy. You did wonders for this organization. Wonders. I'm going to spin zone this. We can blame the entire Chicago White Sox fiasco for however long, however long Jerry Reinstorf's owned them to Michael Jordan. 100%. Michael Jordan was never Michael Jordan. Jerry Reinstorf's a nobody. Right. right. Doesn't follow the three. Who is Jerry Reinstorf? Oh, he's the owner of probably one of the five worst franchises in the NBA. Is that? That's probably right. And where do the White Sox rank among franchises in baseball? A uh, little bit above the Mariners. Probably not too, not, not above 15. Yeah. Above 20? Mm. Maybe. Look, we've talked about it at short points on this podcast over the first handful or two of months that we've been doing this. But let's just make it abundantly clear here on this episode If you're tuning into this podcast, you know a few things. You know that TJ and I cannot stand the bunt. You know we're pro-analytics. We also cannot stand Tony La Russa. Cannot stand him. The fact the White Sox brought him back is shameful. The best part about the employment of Tony La Russa was watching him run out to fight the other team. Watching his little waddle out there. I think that if if you can see that's how you're running, you probably shouldn't be running a baseball team, that and taking naps in the dugout, which actually I hear is pretty popular in Chicago. What about the fact that he stood in front of the media and said, remember when your mean Mercedes hit that home run on a 3-0 pitch? Yeah, if the other team wants to just throw at him the next day, I'd have no issues. I, honestly, I'd say it's warranted. This, this dude goes in front of the media and says, opposing teams, please go ahead and try to injure my own player. And then your mean essentially has now been out of baseball ever since that moment. Like his career went since then. Yeah, he fell off the face of the earth. He had that insane first month in 2021 and really six weeks. And then he's basically been unheard of since. 
If only he had some organizational support, his manager. Hmm. Same franchise that just took the Mariners down on Wednesday, but you know what? We're nitpicking here. Obviously, that was a tough way for them to lose on Wednesday, but in the grand scheme of things, if you told us the Mariners were going to have an 8-2 and two road trip, I think you'd take it. Because the, the other way you can spin it is if they had gotten 2-3 of three in Houston and swept the White Sox, we're over the moon right now. And if you look at the two losses, the only two losses were blown ninth inning leads. That's it. Yeah, pretty marginal. And even those Orioles games all the way back at the last home series, too. Those were close late inning losses. They've been right there. They could have so won 20 at, in a row. Yeah, I was going to say. So we're, it, the stretch we're in is 20 and the four, four, four losses. No. Yeah, four yeah. losses in that stretch. Two are in the 10th inning or three are in the 10th inning and one was a blown ninth inning lead. I would say usually you take that if you go 16 and four and the only other games you just so happen to be leading late in the game at some point or tied. You do take that. And at the end of the day, they still won a series on the road against the White Sox. So you won the series. You're not going to win every game. You're just not. Even for as hot as the Mariners are playing right now. But if you keep winning series, that's all you can ask for. Let's get to our Mariners storylines. I do have one for certain apology in these two Mariners storylines. This one's like a half apology. But the Mariners aren't where they are post-deadline with this run without Teoscar Hernandez and what he's done at the plate. It has been something to watch, him turning around in August. When he's hot, this lineup is just different. Because when he's playing at the level of capability that everybody knows he can play, and his peak performance, what he did in Toronto, what he does when he's hot here in Seattle, it's just a different lineup, one through nine, because it is such an impact bat. And when we've seen him get hot in certain stretches of the season, that tends to be his trends, that he gets hot at certain points of the season. And when he does, he gets red hot. A 168 WRC plus since the deadline. And normally you'd say, wow, that's a pretty good three-week stretch. However, there's about five guys on the Mariners team that are actually doing that post-deadline, which is kind of funny. But Teoscar's really stood out because, as I mentioned in Wednesday's episode, I, I sat here on this podcast and said, why isn't he getting traded? Why, why didn't they trade him at the deadline if they're, they're going to sell? Why didn't you sell your, your clear-cut rental? Well, this is why he's been a catalyst. And even in this White Sox series, since we recorded Wednesday's episode, he continues to mash and he continues to hit balls out of the ballpark. His strikeout rate has gone down. And the thing I like the most, they've really been able to just bounce him up and down the lineup wherever they feel comfortable with him hitting and wherever the lineup structure works. And it hasn't really mattered. And he's hitting all those spots. That's another thing about the increased depth of this lineup is you really have the, the ability to move these pieces all up and down this lineup one through nine. And it hasn't really mattered all that much. And the production still come. And Teoscar, no matter where he's been in the lineup, has continued to hit. The lineup's basically set with JP and Julio at 1-2 when both those guys are healthy. But you look at the rest of the guys between Ty, Cal, Gino, Teoscar. You can jumble those guys any way you want. Three through six, essentially. And there's no worry about any of them at this point because they're all red hot. And maybe nobody more so than Teoscar with the way he's played. I mean, you said... The 168 WRC plus since the deadline, it's at 174 the last two weeks, 1017 OPS. He's hitting nearly 400. That's red hot. And now the responsibility of being an outfielder, like playing physically, playing out in the outfield every day 
is no longer required for him because you have three young guys that you can put out in the outfield on a given day and let Teoscar DH. Five of the 19 games he's played in post-deadline, he's DH'd, which is, I think, a little bit higher than he normally did. I mean, he would kind of move in there sometimes earlier in the season, but this, since it's available, and especially since Tom Murphy's hurt, who usually occupies the DH spot when he's not starting behind behind the plate, he's been able to DH a little bit more and I guess help him get off his feet as he enters older age than all those other outfielders out there. So it's just more of the fact of this depth helping Teoscar out a little bit more and they don't have to rely on him for all the production, which is I think what Teoscar always has wanted. That's what he had in Toronto where he wasn't supposed to be the aircraft carrier in the middle of the lineup. And if you look at it right now, he still doesn't have to be. He's not the first guy that comes to mind when you say the Mariners need to produce more offense. No, it's everybody. And I think that's where Teoscar operates the best. My brain has done such an emotional tug of war all year about how I feel about Teoscar moving forward. And if I want him back on the Mariners next season in this stretch right now, I'm saying yes. Now, I don't know if that means a qualifying offer. I don't know if that means that you bring him back on a let shorter or not shorter AAV, but shorter year, smaller AAV. A deal in free agency. There we go. Where he returns to Seattle. And again, like I go so back and forth on this because he has these cold stretches. He's striking out all the time. He can't put bat to ball. And you just say, he's not there. But then he goes through stretches like this and you're like, the offense is so different when he's at his best. And now, like as we sit right now, all of a sudden I lean back toward yes. And I swear my mind changes every week. I have some fun nuggets actually about this offense that we'll get to in our MLB wraparound because it does preclude one of the teams we're talking about in our MLB wraparound. I I did, if you want like a thought, I did send this to you yesterday and your essential reaction was, what the fuck is this? But we'll get to that. So that's a, that's a, that's a notion for you to stick around and listen to the entire episode. And I will note, we know Julio had his four day streak of four plus hits, 17 total hits from the final two games of the Kansas City series into the first two games of the Houston series. Well, Teoscar contributed to that streak as well. If we look at a team, they don't start this win streak without him going five for five in game two against Kansas City and really helping them get a 10-8 win in, in extra innings and really kicking this off. He, he, he got the barrel rolling before Julio did. How are you feeling about Teoscar right now? If, if he gets an, a reasonable deal, would you bring him back next year? Yep. Because who else are you bring back? I know you're comfortable with Marlowe and Canzone, but I don't, again, I don't think we're at the point if the Mariners believe D- Cade Marlowe's an everyday guy. I think they like, they like Dom Canzone's bat enough to think he's an everyday guy. Julio is obviously an everyday guy, but Cade Marlowe, maybe not. And if you don't believe he's an everyday guy, then you need a third outfielder. So yes. That's me. I'm I'm just talking myself through it, talking my brain through it. So yeah, I'm good. A, a, a moderate offer uh, would be good for Teoscar Hernandez. The third being aside from Kelnick and Julio. Right. Sorry, yeah. I forgot Jared. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when he doesn't play. I forget about him. But I don't. Regardless, they still need more bats. They yeah. still need more bats, and there's no guarantee Mister Number Seventeen down in Anaheim is going to come here and occupy a DH spot. So that would be another option as well if you just want to stick him at DH. And maybe as he gets older, that's a spot that he'll be at more and more. Yeah, and you can rotate some guys. Speaking of that number 17 in Anaheim, there's another reason to stick around because we will be talking about him. It's been awesome for Teoscar, man. 
like again, this offense is just so different when he's clicking, and this is one of those times that he is all six foot two, two hundred and fifteen of them. Or you know what? Let's just round up. We'll call it all six three, two hundred and fifteen pounds of them, and that forceful power he's got. Yeah, he really packs a punch with it. I will say. I mean, it, pound for pound, he does it, some of the best raw power you'll see. Before we get to our second storyline here, quick word from our friends at the Columbia Athletic Club. Columbia Athletic Club in Juanita Bay in Kirkland is a full-service, family-owned athletic club that's been inspiring healthier lives since 1981. Amenities include all-new strength and cardio equipment, free weights, basketball and squash courts, saltwater pools, and hot tubs, along with so much more. Included with your membership, if you were to sign up today, are group exercise classes with the likes of yoga, Zumba, bar, group power, and cycling. The best promotions of the year start now through the fall season. Get started with a free five-day trial at ColumbiaAthletic.com. That's ColumbiaAthletic.com. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney+. Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN+, Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Second storyline. You talked about this over text this week, TJ, and you said, I think I've got a storyline I want to talk about, which is I would personally like, I being you, I should say that, you wanted to hop on here and issue an apology to Josh Rojas. And let me preface this by saying I would like to as well. Josh Rojas, I'm sorry. I believe the words we used were placeholder and eventual Tacoma Rainier Josh Rojas. When we talked about him two weeks ago, it was our one-week evaluation of the Mariners' trade deadline returns. He was in the midst of an 0 for 14 at that point, and we're thinking, well... How serious are his contributions really going to be to this team? Does he really need to be there? And now two weeks later, yeah, he absolutely does. I love him hitting in the nine hole. You could stay as long as you want, Josh Rojas. This is the guy who was the three-win player for the Diamondbacks last year. He hits righties. He can play solid defense. He can move around. He has an actual arm at second base. Like, guys, his arm strength ranks in the 61st percentile at second base, which is not the upper echelon of the league, but it's above average. And man, after watching Colton Wong try to turn double plays at second base, it is such a breath of fresh air to see those six, four, three double plays actually get turned. Yeah, he's been red hot at the plate over the last 10, 11 games, and he's been solid in the field too. And he sounds like an awesome dude. Did you hear that interview you did on the radio the other day? Mm-hmm. It was yeah, he, talk. Yeah, he's, he sounds he sounds like a genuine fun guy and he he had a lot to he had a lot to talk about too i think one of the most important parts of this that he's heating up is the production the mariners have gotten out of the nine hole now so jb crawford at the beginning of the season was occupying that spot but once the mariners realized oh, i mean oh shit i think jp's uh significantly better than hitting in the nine hole let's hit him lead off that's what they did so since then the combination against righties was colton long and jose caballero out of that nine spot Colton Wong's WRC plus was, I forgot to write it down, about 50. I think (laughs) it was all this season. It was pretty bad. 
was, it was, it was pretty atrocious. And it was Jose Caballero as well, who has a 79 WRC plus versus righties. Uh, Josh Rojas has been significantly better in that short stretch against righties than that. And I think that alone lifts this offense up so much when you're not getting any production in front of the top two hitters of your lineup down on that nine hole. And all of a sudden, Josh Rojas is heating up and hitting the ball, not just hitting it, he's hitting the ball hard as well. He's got a couple home runs after not hitting any in his first 59 games with the Diamondbacks. He did note when he's coming over that he was working on a couple things with his swing and trying to get better. And it seems like the Mariners helped him pay those things off. Colton Wong's WRC plus was 36. So yes, Josh Rojas is an improvement. Wow. Wow. I really oversold. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that wasn't even close. I should have known. Are we? I was, now sh- I was shocked that home run he hit right before he got cut didn't raise it any harder, any higher. Just, just inflate it to the moon. Well, it probably was like thirty one, and it went up to thirty six. So, apples, apples and oranges. So we're now seeing exactly why Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander worked so hard to have Josh Rojas in this trade package, right? Because we kind of talked about it when the trade happened, and we were like, this is the guy they spent hours on end trying to include in this trade package to make it happen for Paul Seawald. I mean, some people scratch their heads at it just because he wasn't having a good year in Arizona. We're now seeing exactly why, right? Because this is now two very reliable, productive utility guys you have moving forward for the foreseeable future in both Dylan Moore and Josh Rojas. And just think about how much better the bench is when we're talking about this Mariners turnaround. I mean, think of our... Like, there's not a guy in this lineup that you're like, like, why are they hitting today? So in a day that Josh Rojas starts at second and an otherwise normal lineup, at least right now, we're not counting Kelnick yet because he's not back from injury. Currently, the bench would be, it would be Jose Caballero. It would be Dylan Moore. It would be, I mean, I guess we can include, say, if Tom Murphy's healthy, Tom Murphy. And if Cade Marlowe's the odd man out in the outfield, then Marlowe. Yeah, that's a really good bench. That is, yeah, that's, that is a, that's versatility and production up and down that bench. It's so much different than AJ Pollock on your bench. That's what I was going to say. It's a little different than AJ Pollock, Colton Wong, and Tommy Lastella. Yeah, it is. And I think that's a huge part of this turnaround. Like, you have so many good players on your roster. Like, think of just the difference it makes when you swap out your your anchors, your 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 guys who are dragging you down, with guys who are serviceable to good. It, it changes everything. And I don't, you know, I, I don't know if it's a straight causation with the trade deadline and, and, and these guys, but they've helped a lot. They really have. It's, it's fascinating. And we've been, I've been a really big fan of what we've seen from Josh Rojas, e- even like starting rallies yesterday against the White Sox. They're in the ninth inning. It's Josh who started it. Kate Marlowe strikes out to start the ninth inning, but Josh Rojas, one out, no one on, single, boom. And then the floodgates opened right after him. And, Mariners were that close to to sweeping and winning nine in in a row. He's been great. I should clarify, by the way, when I was given the example of the bench players, I I threw Tom Murphy in there. And again, he is hurt right now. It's currently Brian O'Keefe. But assuming when Murphy gets his spot back, the guys I listed out is what the bench will look like. And as we just detailed, it's way better. But look at Rojas over his last 11 games. I don't think we've highlighted this yet. 395 average, 1044 OPS, two bombs, 15 hits three walks, and three stolen bases. That's pretty good. 
that is pretty good for the ninth guy in your lineup or someone that might be on the bench these days. If you can pull a guy off the bench who's on a scorcher 395 over your last 11 games, it helps a lot. It does. And he's been a really nice find. And I think Jerry was, as of now, right, right in getting him. And it's, and it's nice to see the player, not the player that he was in Arizona this year, but the player they envisioned they were getting this year now on their roster and we can see why Jerry and Justin spent so much time like you said trying to get him last thing here I've got on Rojas even his time in Seattle as a whole his OPS plus is 120 and that's after having such a tough start in his first handful of games 120 OPS plus he's 20 percent above league average since joining the ball club this is the guy they traded for not the guy that was having a down year in Arizona this Josh Rojas is what they saw and what they wanted and what they, like you said, envisioned he could be. And now he's doing it. Oh, and he also had a clutch single last week against Kansas City. Forgot he's had two clutch moments so far. So that's good. That's good. Uh, let's see. Oh, last thing, dog, on on Josh Rojas. Does he mm-hmm. get dinged at all because he laid down a perfect bunt? On this podcast, yes. Nobody should ever be dropping down bunts. Yeah. It was a pretty good bunt. Did score a run. But did we, we stand firm. We do. We do stand firm. Did you see Julio attempt to drop down a bunt the other day? No, I must have missed it. You might have been out at football practice, to be fair. The Mariners were playing a day game. I don't ever want to see that again. Literally ever. I, I do not ever want to see you attempt to drop down a bunt ever again. Yes. Yes, yeah. I like that. No. All right. Let's go down on the farm. Lyle, who you got this week? It's got to be Tyler Locklear for me. Here's a guy that missed about two months because he had a wrist injury. He was hit by a pitch down in Everett. This is one of the Mariners' more hyped-up prospects. They love his bat. Well, he just got promoted to double-A this week. He got back healthy a couple weeks ago, played a few more games with the Aqua Sox. Now he's going to the Travelers. He's headed to Arkansas. And what a ridiculous 61 games this dude had, despite missing that time. 305 average this year. 12 bombs, 971 OPS, 161 WRC plus, so 61% above league average down in high A, walked over 13% of the time, struck out just above 21% of the time. Get used to hearing this name, folks, because if you don't know him already, this could very well be the first baseman of the Mariners' future. Yeah, let me say that again. Tyler Locklear could very well be the first baseman of the Mariners' future, and we may see him as early as next year in the big leagues. I wouldn't be shocked if we see him next year. It was really such a bummer when we saw him go out, but it's been nice that it really hasn't even dropped off at all since he came mm-hmm. back. And Jerry said at the beginning of this year, yeah, we want to see Tyler end 2023 in double A. Well, even despite missing two months with the injury, he's still in double A, which is exactly where they want. He might take a little longer in double A next year, but it all works out. That dude absolutely mashes. The guys I have this week, I have three of them, actually, because they all got promoted together. Colt Emerson, Ty Pete, and Aiden Smith, all draft picks, two first-round picks, and the fourth-round pick for the Mariners this year. Going up to Modesto after raking through the complex league. Here's some stat lines. Colt Emerson hit 536 in eight games. Ty Pete had a 429 on base percentage, drove in six runs. Aiden Smith a 433 on base percentage, stole six bases, knocked through uh, two triples as well. Good to see those guys in affiliated ball. 
Uh, I was hoping to list off one more name here, but you texted me and asked me earlier today about where Johnny Farmello is. <laughs> we don't know, but the other two first-round picks are in Modesto now. He just hasn't played much yet. Hopefully we get some clarity on that soon. Are we starting to do a bit of a 180 on this draft class? AK, are we starting to feel a little different than we were on draft night yet? What do you mean? Well, remember how on draft night we wanted to see him take way more college bats and we thought the gap needed to be filled and we talked to Joe Doyle about that on one of our recent podcast episodes. But look, I know they're only playing in the complex league, but just seeing Emerson, seeing Ty Pete, seeing Aiden Smith, I don't know. I think they might have struck gold with some of these high school picks. Might have. It was eight games and the complex league is done now. That, that yeah. That's a reason they're moving up too. So, yeah. oh, of course. So, but if they, if, Cole Emerson goes out and hits 400 in Modesto. Let's revisit this conversation. I think that's fair. And note on Aiden Smith, obviously the headliners of this are both Cole Emerson and Ty Pete because they were two of the three first rounders along with Barmelo. Jerry Depoto talked about Aiden Smith and he said in a normal draft year, because they viewed this draft class as very deep, if not the deepest one ever, they felt like in a normal draft year, Aiden Smith would be a late first rounder. They love him. They got him in the fourth round, signed him. Love his bat going up to Modesto now. So I think that's another name to circle along with the two first rounders that are moving up with them and Pete and Emerson. How are you structuring this lineup now in this Modesto lineup and on this roster? I mean, now you're going to have to sort through Michael Arroyo, Luis Suisbell, Colt Emerson, Ty Pete, Ben Williamson. He was just placed on the IL though. So I don't know if that counts. Aiden Smith and then Lazaro Montes. I mean, how's that getting shuffled up? That's a lot of, star at bats i don't know but if you're listening to this podcast and you live somewhere in the california area i would get out to modesto and see some of those games because if i was anywhere near modesto california despite it not exactly being a hawaii-esque location to go travel to i would still go to see those guys play 100 percent, i would go very intriguing yeah it's going to be very excited to to watch the nuts here over the last prime month of the season I can't wait. In the meantime, let's get to our MLB wraparound here. I think this first topic is going to take up the bulk of this segment, so let's dive into it. Let's talk about the big story of the week. Shohei Otani tears his UCL. He is done pitching for the year. He is seeking a second opinion. Oh boy, where do we want to start with this? Well, he's going to keep hitting. He's probably still going to end up with 50 home runs. So actually, probably. He will end up with 50 home runs. He might still even get to 60 home runs if he goes on a heater. He's going to have a lot of time to focus on hitting now because he's not pitching the rest of this year. This stinks. This stinks on a number of fronts. Do we want to start with the fact that it seemed like Otani has been fatigued a lot the last month and the Angels kept trotting him out there? While he, what is he left now? He left two starts early before this. And then this happens. I'm going to try to save Angel's organization specific talk for later in this segment. So this first topic on the MLB wraparound is basically going to get broken into three parts here. I'm giving you the table of contents, table of content, because yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a longer one. There's the Otani part, there's the Mariners part, and then there's the Angels part. So the first part being this Otani part. Yeah, it does seem like he was fatigued. It does seem like that he was being run out there and taken out of a lot of starts. You, 
I didn't think this was going to be the result, but you did worry about him a little bit because what he is doing, as we've talked about a million times, as the baseball world's talked about a million times, is nothing short of remarkable and unprecedented. The thing that slows Shohei Otani down, it's not his opponents. It's the human body. The human body isn't made to be doing what he's doing. Now, he's done it because he is a unicorn and nearly a Greek god of baseball where he has defied almost everything that makes sense logistically about playing the game. But it got to a point where finally something caught up to him and it was just too much on his body. And it stinks too, because if we want to get to the second, kind of second part of this, because this counts, this puts, this changed the MLB offseason and one night of news, it absolutely changed the offseason because Shohei goes into the offseason healthy. We have our guesses of what team he wants to go to and we have our guesses of pretty much exactly what number he's going to get. Now we don't know what really his market is. We don't know if teams are still going to pay his top market or if teams are going to pay his like health adjusted market. Or if someone's going to try, he's only going to want to say two year deal to hit free agency again in 2025 with a healthy UCL and go back out and make twice the money as a two way player. So that's the question of the loaded question I'm going to present to you is how do we sift through all this? I guess there's a chance he could take a two year deal, but even if he does that, does that really open up more teams to get into play? Just in the sense of do his preferences really change? Does he really want to go to Tampa? Does he really want to go to Baltimore? I don't know. I, I, I understand that this injury now potentially puts smaller market teams into play. And I should say smaller market teams that are in a window of competition because we know above everything Otani wants to win. But I still don't know if he wants to fly across the country and play for one of those teams. I still think he wants to be on the West Coast. It's just a matter of, does he take a short-term deal or a long-term deal? And that's the big question. Now, if you check our social media pages for what we now released yesterday of what Otani would take and what the Mariners could offer him this offseason, what are you offering him, Lyle, now that you know this medical information? If I'm the Mariners, I am giving Otani whatever he asks for. For me, nothing has changed. I am giving him a blank check and saying, tell us what you want. We'll give it to you. I'm taking the chance on him. So you made a couple of points with this. One, the Mariners are expected to have about eight healthy starters next year that they will not need his services in the rotation. You think, barring barring health, they would not need his services in the rotation. So you're essentially paying a premium for him to DH this year and probably a good chunk of next year as uh, sorry, next year and the good chunk of the year after that as well while he's rehabbing. And then you work him back into the rotation and you expect by the end of 2025, he's back to being a two-way player. So that's what you're you're banking on with that. Yes. And just to make it clear, I'm not exaggerating when I say eight. No, it is eight starters, because here you go. Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu. Robbie Ray, when he gets back from his Tommy John recovery, Marco Gonzalez, and Emerson Hancock. Yeah, it's eight starters without Otani. Pitching depth is not the Mariners' issue. The other part of this, too, is which Otani is more valuable to the Mariners, if you have to pick one? Otani the pitcher or Otani the hitter? Because to me, this is not even close. It's Otani the hitter. Correct. Yeah. So there you go. 
if you want him to DH more than you want him to pitch, which you do, not that you don't want him to pitch. He's a top five pitcher in the league when he's healthy. But the Mariners benefit more from him DHing than pitching. So if you pay him a premium and say, we still believe in you, we still believe you can get back to the mound and back to the form you were at before the injury, and in the meantime, just hit, you still get his services until he's back on the mound. And also, I don't think it's going to be the end of 2025. If he gets Tommy John, I bet you he doesn't pitch in 24. I don't see why he couldn't be back on the mound by opening day of 2025. We'll have to see. It is two Tommy Johns in five seasons. If he was any sort of pitcher, just pitcher only, teams wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, They wouldn't. I mean, that's what makes his bat valuable, of course. But pitching-wise, teams would be like, mm, yeah, I don't know if I'm interested in that. Shane McClanahan now is, what, two Tommy Johns in seven seasons, right? That is. I mean, he's still under contract because he's on his rookie deal. But teams are going to be wary in free agency with Shane McClanahan now that they know his injury history. I don't I don't know. Well I don't know if Shohei Otani's ever going to be the pitcher he was again if now that we know this is what his elbow has to go through, has gone through, and the kind of strain that he puts him puts on himself. I think it's interesting. I thought that I think this offseason overnight got a million times more intriguing. I think there are going to be more teams in it. I think the deals will be shorter. I think they're going to be more complicated. And I don't necessarily know if it worked out in the Mariners' favor because we thought the way it was, it is going about as well as possible for the Mariners. There's going to be two teams offering him 10-year contracts that he would consider. Now, if he only wants a short-term deal, he's not tied down anywhere that he doesn't want to be. But again, if it's the West Coast, which he, it seems like he does want to be, I feel like it's still a short list of teams. So originally, we thought it's going to be the Dodgers and the Mariners. It's going to be down to those two teams. We said maybe the Giants would be in it. Now, if there's a shorter deal, who else does that include? Maybe the Padres? I still don't think the list of teams goes crazy by any stretch. Again, I don't think he's going to be signing with the Rays or the Orioles. I really don't. I guess that's a question we're going to have to tackle in the offseason. We will have plenty of time to discuss all of these in the offseason. Regardless, Shohei will not pitch again this season. And we are going to see what his pitching is going to look like when he comes back. Now his second Tommy John in five seasons in Major League Baseball. Now, I don't want to forget this last part because this might be the best part of this entire storyline. So with all this news coming out about Shohei and how the Angels are treating their players, by the way, not if you would notice the Angels' top three star players all on the injured list, or not not on the injured list. Trout, by the way, back on the injured list, which is the second tiny little note of the storyline. Mike Trout came back for one day and now is back on the IL. And Anthony Rendon... They can't seem to track him down to see what what's his, what his update is for his injury. So with all this going down, and Sho, Shohei, by the way, not on the aisle, there's some ex-Angels coming out telling some stories, I would say, Lyle. Do you want to dive into these C.J. Wilson tweets? Yeah, yeah, I do. What, which one should we start with? I, I think we should start with, he tweeted two days ago on Wednesday, when all this Otani, I think actually no, it was the day before the Otani news was coming out. And he, uh, someone was asking, do you remember exactly what they were asking him about? It was something along the lines of Artie Moreno and the Angels franchise. And CJ Wilson took it upon himself to reply on Twitter and air out all the laundry. And he said, they told Albert Pujols they would not get him the specific treadmill 
that he wanted. So it's like, yeah, Albert Pujols, sure, we'll sign you to this 200 plus million dollar contract. Oh, but that $3,000 treadmill you wanted? No. Nope, you don't get it. That's absurd. And as you remember, Pujols' big injury with the Angels was plantar fasciitis. Couldn't walk. Hmm. Couldn't run. And to think that a treadmill might have uh, helped him out a little bit, maybe have really catered to your player. Uh, and they decided they would rather just not spend the money. And this has been the story of Artie Moreno, his entire tenure as Angels owner, right? He like he will spend big money on, on big-name players, but then he'll cheapen out when it comes to other parts of his organization. It's well-documented online, YouTube, articles, whatever. You can go look it up. I mean, it is something that is well-versed. That's not the only thing that C.J. Wilson leaked out. Someone responded to him and said, please tell us more so we can report <laughs> Artie to the FBI. So C.J. then comes in and says something that I cannot believe is real, but but it is. There was no breakfast served at spring training until the second week of spring training in 2012, and no weight room in spring training training until 2013. Coming from Texas, he says, where fitness was 100% expected, it was shocking how lazy they expected players to be. He responded to that tweet and said, imagine telling players, just run really hard to first base and you'll be in great shape. <laughs> he followed that up with his final tweet saying, imagine telling players to be physically ready for 8 a.m. workouts by, quote, stopping at Chick-fil-A if you need to eat IDK. TJ, I've got a take here, and it's a one-liner for you. You let me know if this is a banger or not. The two worst franchises in Major League Baseball reside in the AL West, and neither of them are the Seattle Mariners. And that's a that's quite a statement. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Am I wrong? N- no. I mean... They've they've cleaned up their image recently, but you know you could argue the three worst. But I I I I digress. I, at this very point, probably not. There are some other ones: the Rockies. Uh, you could pick more the Pirates, but yeah, yeah, that's that sounds right. Like this whole fiasco with the Angels the last few years is just nuts. Between all these stories you hear about Artie Moreno, I mean, fans probably were thrilled when they heard he was going to sell the team and then took that statement back and decided not to. But between this, between they cannot capitalize with any of the players that they have, between all these stories that, yeah, that CJ Wilson's telling about poor player treatment and lack of, lack of aggressiveness and urgency to win. It's it's astounding. It's it's seriously astounding that they cannot figure this out, especially with the two best players in the world on one team. It, it's seriously ridiculous. Or the simple fact of it just like giving a shit about the health of your players. Yeah, like I, mean, I, I think it's pretty simple. That did you know the 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 funny part about yesterday's date of when the Otani injury was announced? Yesterday was the one year anniversary. Already announced he was going to sell the team. Incredible. Seriously. <laughs> and incredible. then one year later, after he retracts his statement, 
Otani tears his UCL for the second time as an angel. Mike Trout, after spending weeks on the injured list, comes back for one day, goes back on the injured list, and the Angels lose both games with a doubleheader to the Cincinnati Reds. Oh. And, and there's just all these things about the Angels, too. I mean, their attendance is nowhere near as good as it should be. They're, they've got all these things about their organization, too. Like, like their broadcast is not well set up. It feels like Bally Sports West or whatever the name of, of the LA they, TV they market. They don't even it, travel. It, no. Like, it's, it's an unstable, it's an unstable broadcast deal. They don't put money into it. They don't put effort into it. And there's a lack of product on the field. And oh, by the way, I'm not here to definitively say one thing or another, but it is a little interesting that Shohei Otani was clearly injured for weeks here and the Angels just decided we're not going to shut him down. We're not going to preserve his health. No, we don't care. We're going to milk every ounce of baseball that we can get out of him because he's a free agent at the end of the year. And truthfully, I don't know how much blame they share in destroying that arm of his, but clearly they deserve a little bit. Oh, and not to trade him too. So now you have no farm. You are going to have no Otani. Rendon is never healthy. You've still got a ton of money on the books. You're not going to be winning baseball games. Like this is what I meant about them compared to the A's. They're not going to be the Oakland A's, but they're not going to be that far off in terms of games that they win. I don't know how this team is going to have a single winning season at any point in the next five years. And like a fifth of their roster right now are uh, rental free agents that have negative war since they acquired them. Have you seen, you've seen the numbers on the guys they acquired. I actually should have kept track of that. Uh, but every, uh, in summary, every guy they've acquired at the deadline as a rental has been an abject disaster. Not just bad, a disaster. If I'm Mike Trout, it's time to demand a trade. We've talked about this on the podcast before, and now that Otani's inching closer to free agency, if he has any urgency to try to build his legacy up a little bit, it's time to demand a trade. Otani's going to be gone. This franchise has no future for the next five to 10 years. You're locked into that contract. I know you probably like Anaheim. I know you're probably comfortable there. But do you care at all about your legacy? Does it ever bother you, Mike Trout, that you have had 12 postseason at-bats and have not been in the playoffs since 2014? Because if your answer is yes, then get off that team because it's not happening in Anaheim. Like, demand a trade already. I'm not saying you have to demand a trade to the Mariners. Go to the Phillies. Like, go home to Philly. Do something. But get off that team already and save your legacy, please. We beg of you, Mike Trout. Also, please leave the American League West. Thank you. That that too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to our next wraparound topic. That was really good, Lyle. That was good. I think that's the deepest we've ever gone on a wraparound topic. Let's get to some rumors that came around this week. Why is Pete Alonso on the trade block? I don't think he should be. How can the Mets afford to trade this guy? I know they're in a rebuild right now, but you've got to have some stable pieces to be able to augment up-and-coming young prospects, and you have Lindor locked into a big contract, you would think you'd want to extend Pete Alonso, especially when your owner's Steve Cohen, but yet there's rumors out there that they would ship him away. And there's some really odd things about these rumors. First of all, it was the I think it was the Brewers who were like leaking stuff out of their front office, and they 
the funniest thing about this, like the year and a half of Pete Alonso, who's just smashes so many home runs that they weren't even going to include their number two, the number two prospect in baseball, Jackson Churio in this deal. That was like rumored. He wasn't even a prospect that was being thrown around. Which was like, you're going to trade, you trade Pete Alonso, not even get their number one guy back. That's kind of weird. Second of all, you mentioned Steve Cohen, like Steve Cohen has endless piles of cash to pay players. Endless. You're telling me he can't afford something like the eight for 168 Matt Olson got or the six for 162 Freddie Freeman got? You're telling me that's not too much? When we saw some of the numbers he was throwing around this offseason, it was absurd. And you're telling me Pete Alonso is not worth that? So a little bit of a foreshadowing for you guys. We had an awesome guest on for this upcoming Wednesday show, Jolly Olive from John Boy Media. And we talked with him a little bit about this. And I didn't even realize it till he brought it up. He's a big Mets guy. Pete Alonso has a chance to shatter Mets franchise records if he stays there for an extended period of time. This is the face of the franchise. I mean, I know Lindor has the big contract and he's the shortstop. When I think of the New York Mets, the first guy I do think of is Pete Alonso. You've got to keep him around. You have to keep this guy at first base for the foreseeable future, especially when you have as much money as Steve Cohen does. So if you've got a chance to be that impactful on a franchise long term, and he's not slowing down anytime soon, yeah, you've got to extend him. What are they waiting for? Why are they even why are they even letting these trade rumors get out there? Get in front of this and extend him. I, I don't know why they even considered selling him off in the first place. Like I don't get it. Especially said, okay, so our window they said our window is gonna be twenty twenty five. Is that roster Sans Pete Alonso a 2025 competitor? Uh, I don't think so. Not the lineup. I think it's going to take a little longer than that. There's pieces in the lineup. You've got Lindor. You've got Brandon Nimmo. You've got Pete Alonso. You've got Francisco Alvarez. And if Jeff McNeil turns it around at some point, you've got McNeil. But that is a little bit aggressive considering everything you just traded away and clearly needing some young arms here in, in the future moving forward to go along with Kodai Senga because they need arms if they're going to compete. Now they have bats and there should be more bats on the way with some of the guys that got back uh, over the trade deadline. But I think 2025 is a little bit of aggressive to expect the Mets to be a World Series contender. Also major hot seat for Pete Alonso. Dis, uh not related to this. He chucked Mason Wynn's first hit into the stands. <laughs> not a good look for him. What on earth was he thinking? I know he made up for it afterward and he said, I honestly just kind of blanked and wasn't thinking about it for a second. And he ended up getting Mason Wynn, what a, a nice bottle of liquor of Jack Daniels or something, right? I think so. Yeah, he was saying he was like looking towards the the Cardinals dugout and like waving the ball and no one looked at him. So he's like, all right, fuck it. Just tosses it into the stands. And if I was a fan, I know exactly like you want to like you obviously want Mason Wynn to get his ball back, but you know you're negotiating power because you know they need that ball. Yeah. I mean, remember when Ellie De La Cruz hit his first home run and everything that kid got? after the home run was hit him and all of his friends got pictures with Ellie and signed balls and apparel. I mean, he really negotiated a deal. So yeah, if you get a player's first big league hit, especially if it's a blue chip prospect, the way Ellie was, or honestly the way even Mason Wynn is. Oh yeah. You can get something back in return. I don't know that image of that image of Pete Alonzo was so hilarious. Maybe he was really looking at the Cardinals dugout, but man, it looked like he was almost teasing the Cardinals. Like, oh, you want the ball? You want the ball? Nope, I'm chucking it into the stands. Now, again, he did 
clarify things post-game afterward and said that was not my intention. And he made up for it. He gave Wayne a few gifts. Again, he gave him a big bottle of hard alcohol. I forget what exactly the brand was, but he made up for it and, and Wynn said it was all good. He got the ball back. But man, that was not a good look for Pete Alonso at first glance. It was funny. That's what I'll yeah. say. It was pretty funny. It was. And there's a lot of people out there that do not like Pete Alonso. And if you're one of those people, you were probably jumping for joy when you saw that because it was content galore on Twitter that night. I think it yeah. relates to our uh, next storyline here. Speaking of people who don't like Pete Alonso. That entire team down in Atlanta, because let me tell you what, TJ, the Braves never lose. No, they don't. What a wagon. What a wagon they are. It's it's incredible. I, I was so happy that we chose this storyline because it actually let me go dive in a little bit and look at this. Mike Petriello, by the way, of MLB.com wrote an excellent piece on this very subject on the Atlanta Braves and some of their strengths this season. And there are some fascinating things. Here's a stat for you, Lyle, if you want to realize how good this Braves lineup is. So he did something I would never think of. He went through and he looked at how many plate appearances do the Braves give to guys who are not, who are non-productive big league hitters. He qualifies a non-productive big league hitter as less than a 95 WRC plus. The Atlanta Braves are the second best team since 1920 in terms of giving plate appearances to productive big league hitters. Only 8% of their plate appearances they've given this year are to non-productive hitters. Second best all time behind the 84 Tigers ahead of the 2003 Red Sox. It's a pretty good group. It's a ridiculous group. Here's what the Braves lead in as a team in terms of offense this year. The Braves lead baseball in batting average, home runs, RBIs, runs, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, hits, WRC+, WOBA, and WAR. Is there a category we missed that they're not leading in? The Reds lead in stolen bases. That's it. The Braves lead in everything else. This is insane. This is absolutely insane. This is one of the more complete offenses we've ever seen, really. I mean, in 2019, we saw the homer-heavy offenses with the juiced ball. But, you know, this is a little bit more of a dead in baseball. And this unit is still... You know, they're one solid September away from giving the Twins and Yankees a run for their record. It's like they're getting closer at 239 right now as of when I wrote these down. They already have seven 20 home run hitters. I mean, a team slash line of 274, 344, 499 as a team. What does it say about your offense when the worst hitter in the lineup by WRC plus among regular starters is the reigning National League Rookie of the Year? Michael Harris technically is having a little bit of a sophomore slump, a little bit, just compared to his first season. His WRC Plus is still 106, and that's the worst hitter in your lineup. Yeah, they and they do things like, they, they also jump on you fast. They've scored the most runs in the first inning of any team in baseball, more than three times as many as the last place team, the New York Mets. What else? Uh, there's a 1927 Yankees stat in here that I actually want to throw out if I can. Oh, I must have not saved it. That's sad. Oh, no, I have it here. Okay. Best slugging percentage above league average. So we love using our plus stats, right? Where plus puts everything on a 100 scale and 100 is league average. So if we take league slugging and put it on a 100 scale, we get 
Slugging Plus. The number one Slugging Plus team of all time is the 2023 Atlanta Braves as a team. Ahead of, ready? The 1927 New York Yankees. What's the nickname for the Braves offense going to be? The 27 Yankees at Murderer's Row. What do you want to call the Braves offense? Maybe something with a chop? Something. Is there a scenario where this team does not win the World Series? I know baseball can be fluky and October gets crazy, but could this team really get bounced out of the postseason? Probably be their rotation, I think. Like, the rotation's good. Would you say the rotation is like elite, elite? I, I wouldn't say so. It's still a top 10 group by the numbers. Now, it does lack a little bit of depth, but if you can ride Strider, Morton, and Bryce Elder through October, they're set. And by the way, their bullpen group is a top five group. So <laughs> pick your poison. Yeah, people said the same things about the O1Ms too, unfortunately. So, I mean, that would probably be my only my only nitpick. Here's the Mariners-related stat I was going to uh, toss at you. So I did mention that lowest rate of play appearances by non-productive hitters in baseball. So that was all time, the list I gave you. If we take a look, the, look at the one this year, the Braves are obviously number one in terms of giving plate appearances to productive hitters. The Rangers are number two, not surprising. The Mariners are number three. On that list. What did you do when you saw that? I said that cannot be right. I've watched too many plate appearances of AJ Pollock and Colton Wong to believe that stat. There's no way that's true. But according to that, they are third. It's pretty incredible. And you even throw those guys out of it, just considering how tough the offenses look for so much of the year. It's kind of hard to believe that stat, but here we sit. I know we kind of sit here and joke about, oh, that can't be true, that can't be true. Well, the numbers sit right in front of us, so I guess we're wrong. Crazy, but this is such a historic year for the Braves. It it really is. I would be floored if they don't win the World Series. It would be a disappointment if they did, didn't. I mean, that's, the, that's their expectation. I mean, they're running away with the division. They have very little pushback in the division. They're going to get the bye. They have the best record in... You do have the best record in baseball. And, you know, they have, they're probably going to have better hitting and better pitching than every team they face until they get to the World Series. Maybe the Mariners pitching can match up with them, but they'd have to get there first. If we're talking about like this current iteration of the Mariners, man, I mean, we're talking about how they match up. Like, we're probably sound absolutely insane. And you're probably right. Like both lineups are hitting, both lineups have lots of deep lineups of productive hitters. Both bullpens are good, both rotations strike a shit ton of guys out and are very productive. Like it's more similar than you think. That'd be be a hell of a World Series. Now the Braves obviously would have the offensive edge. I think the Mariners would have the edge in the rotation, but that would be a hell of a World Series. And I'll tell you what, I don't, like, I don't know who's stopping the Braves in the National League. The team with the best chance is probably the Dodgers, but I don't think this is anywhere close to the best Dodgers roster we've seen in a long time. I, I think this is one of their weaker rosters in a long time. Now, that's perspective because they're still having a great year, but still I don't think— Still might win 100 games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
But when you just look at it up and down, 1 through 26, I don't think they match up with the Braves offensively. I, I mean, their rotation's taken a bunch of hits this year. They're expected to get Walker Bueller back. Is he going to look like prime Walker Bueller fresh off of Tommy John? And like three weeks later, they tell him, hey, go pitch in the postseason? I don't know. Urias has struggled. Kershaw's been hurt. And that's the team that most imposes the Braves in the National League. If the Braves do not make at least make the World Series, that's a big letdown. Bigger than the way they lost last year. That's a big failure. Final note here in the wraparound news broke earlier today. Steven Strasburg is retiring. Wow. Three up uh, four years into his seven year two hundred and forty five million dollar contract with the Nationals. Most hyped up number one pick ever, question mark? Yeah. Yes. Most hyped prospect probably ever. Never forget, folks, for people that think TJ and I don't know our Mariners history, let's flash back in time a little bit. The Mariners entering the last day of the season in 2008 would had a chance to get Steven Strasburg had they lost that game. They were losing that game on game 162. Now, you would think at this point, just throw the towel and lose to get Steven Strasburg. They come back and win. No Strasburg. They get Dustin Ackley instead. That's a true story. The Mariners lose that game that day. They get Steven Strasburg. Instead, they don't have him. And I shed a tear. You, oh, you want to hear a funny story? I, this I, just, I love stories. This just sparked a memory in my head. So my family and I used to go to Mariners Fan Fest every year, especially when I was a kid. I just loved it, obviously. And they used to have these Q&A sessions. They'd do it with players. They'd do it with some of the coaches. They had one with Jack Sorensic at one point. I'm 10, 11 years old at this point. And kids are asking just random questions. There's some adults that ask some questions. And it's just supposed to be lighthearted, right? And my dad takes me up to the usher who's giving the mic out to people who want to ask a question. And my dad told them, oh, my kid wants to ask a question. So they said, okay, like get in line and here you go. They get up to me. Jack Sorenz is looking at this 10, 11-year-old kid. And what do I say in the mic, TJ? I look at Jack Zarenzik and say, what are the odds the Mariners get Steven Strasburg? And, and, and Zarenzik was like taken back. He's like, this kid's like 10 years old. Like, he's like, well, he goes just to kind of for reference that for people that don't know Steven Strasburg, he's a pitcher that's going to be a prospect in this year's draft and we'll see how everything shakes out and blah 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 like I I don't know my dad always thought that was a funny story he was like Jack Sorensic was totally taken aback he's like what's this 10 year old kid doing asking hard-hitting questions and yeah that just sparked a memory so uh, that was a heartwarming story Lyle I'm really (laughs) twins the heartstrings but now we sit here and think did the Nationals make the right decision with their free agent signing it's a really tough question. If you do, if you forget after the 2019 World Series championship Washington national team, they had two key free agents and they're only going to sign one of them. One was Anthony Rendon. One was Steven Strasburg. Which was the better sign? They should have signed neither of them and taken all that money and given it to Juan Soto. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yep. Ooh, yeah. It would have looked, yeah. We, I mean, we got to give Steven Strasburg some credit here. He was one of the best postseason pitchers ever. He is a huge reason the Nationals won that 2019 World Series. And his prime years were just absolutely ridiculous. But the second half of his career and that contract he got after the World Series has not panned out. 
But it panned out for Steven Strasburg because he's still getting all that money. Yeah, he is. That contract's not insured, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. 30 still- and two-thirds innings for $245 million. Where do I sign the dotted line? <laughs> Where do yeah. I do it? And to by the numbers, give Strasburg his proper credit. 5-0 and in the postseason, 198 ERA, 0-9-4 whip. He was awesome. Like yeah. That guy in his prime was really, really good. Now will Anthony Rendon retire before his contract's up? He's going to say the media forced him into retirement. Yeah, I did see a tweet on Twitter that someone was like, they're not convinced Anthony Rendon actually likes playing baseball, which... <laughs> You know, these years are selling me on it a little bit more. Again, how did this guy go from being a fan favorite in D.C. to one of the most unlikable players in baseball? The turnaround of this is nuts. He may be, maybe he's sick of Artie. Maybe, oh, this is his hardened fat suit moment. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he's going to request a trade out and then, going back to, and then go back to being prime Anthony Rendon. Yeah, yeah from, from, every, from everything we can tell... Rendon, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's just been a nightmare for people in LA. I mean, this has been a this has been a thing for weeks now that reporters ask all the time, like, where in the world is Rendon? And nobody knows. Phil Nevin has to give some cryptic answer because nobody has any idea. People haven't seen him in weeks. And I think the quote I saw was Anthony like the only people who actually know what's up with Anthony Rendon is Anthony Rendon, and he refuses to tell anybody, which is just great communication. It did, like like we say, dog, it goes from the top down of the Angels organization. It really does. Look, that was a good MLB wraparound this week. We had that a bunch was good. That was, one of our, that was one of our better ones. Yeah, there was a bunch of stuff to dive into. But we do still have a couple segments. Let's get to our Russell Wilson umpire of the week here. We'll do it pretty quickly, but a man who has appeared regularly on this segment, TJ, takes home the crown again, doesn't he? Congrats to Laz Diaz. Let's go. So he had a game. It was Twins, Pirates over the weekend. He managed, he was behind the plate. He managed to miss 20 calls, four of them being strikeouts. 16 of those calls went against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I would be fucking pissed if I was a, if I was a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates or organization. So on the umpire scorecards, they have expected runs given, taken for the calls and the impact they have. He gave nearly a full run to the Twins in a one nothing game. Incredible. Or sorry, not uh, in a two. It was a two nothing game, but still close enough. A full run, dude. A full run decided by the umpire. And by the way, the video of this was actually worse than just the scorecard, because when you look at what the balls and strikes calls were looking like in that game, oh, Laz Diaz was missing calls. Six inches off the plate. There were some egregious ones that I saw on Twitter during that game. Terrible. Another good account to follow is Umpire Auditor. We we talk about Umpire scorecards all the time, but Umpire Auditor actually has all the clips of these bad calls. And this person, whoever runs this account, goes through and watches all these terrible performance, uh, terrible performances, cuts it up and puts it online. And this person said the his stats are terrible, but somehow the video looks even worse. This was one of the worst games I've ever seen. For someone whose who's hobby or job, it is to look at all these shitty umpires. So that's saying something. How many times have we said it? The two poster boys for bad umpires, C.B. Buckner, 
Angel Hernandez. Those are the top two, the two everybody thinks about. Laz Diaz is a step below. He's not far below either. He's not quite universally known the way Buckner and Angel are, but he's not far off. If you're an umpire and we know your name, it's not a good thing. Unless you're Pat Hoberg, because he is legitimately awesome behind the plate. He's the one umpire who I basically will not slander because he is about as good as it gets. It's funny. The umpires who actually have to keep their job are the ones who actually do well. Hmm. Hmm. It's weird. Makes you think. That's, that is weird, right? Interesting. Okay. Uh, with that tinfoil hat moment, let's get to Speak Your Mind. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. What's on your mind today? Can't wait for college football to be back. We're days away. By the time this podcast gets released, it'll be one day away. Saturday, week zero. Whew, we're back. We're baseball fans through and through. It's both TJ and I's number one sport. But when we get into the September, October months, it might be my favorite time of the entire year because you've got end of regular season slash playoff baseball, the best baseball of the year, NFL football and college football. It's that time of the year where you basically stop making plans. It's like, oh, what are my weekend plans? Well, I'm going to watch football all weekend. And when the playoffs are on, watch the playoffs. And then during the week, watch a bunch of baseball, watch Monday night football, watch Thursday night football. Your nights are always filled. And ESPN absolutely crushed their music promo this year with something real by Post Malone. Oh, they crushed it. It was really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Also means my schedule gets way, way busier as uh, Oregon State's uh, final season of potentially final season of Power 5 conference play makes it uh, all that more interesting, to say the least. But I'm looking forward to college football, too. It's going to be an exciting season. Can somebody besides Georgia win, please? Like, Is there going to be a game within 14 points for them this year? That'd be nice. They did lose some guys. A lot of guys, actually. Yeah, did they have, didn't they have the number one recruiting class, too? Yeah, I'm just trying to find some sort of silver lining here, even if there's not really one. But I'm still excited for college football to be back because college football is awesome. I'm with you. ESPN did crush the, the song. I mean, we both love Post Malone, another artist we both really like. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear that every Saturday a bunch. It won't get old. It'll be good. Okay, my speak your mind this week. I wanted it at this point to be a review, but I feel like not enough people have watched it yet since it came out. Uh, it has been out for less than 48 hours. New Ahsoka series on Disney Plus, Star Wars. Oh boy, baby. I've been looking forward to this show for quite a long time and it's finally out. It came out yesterday. Uh, and this is me saying I'm excited to watch it. I cannot watch it last night. So I think we're going to save our review for next week. I, I did tell you though, I'm so excited for the show when they announced it. And now we get from, finally get to watch it. And I'm going to be here tonight and watch two episodes. By the time our next Friday show comes out, we'll have both watched it. We'll be up to date and we'll certainly have a review. Because I can't wait to. You're probably a little bit more excited than I am, but I can't wait to watch it. And I think we'd be spoiling it for less of the audience too. Because I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who might be interested uh, or ha- just hasn't had time to watch it, which I understand they released it in the middle of the week. And for any of those who want to like be a little more invested in it, I recommend go watching Star- the Star Wars Rebels television show on Disney+. Plus. It is for kids. It is a little kiddie, but uh, it's Star Wars cartoon shows are, are pretty pretty solid, I would say. And it gives a lot of backstory into what they're going to be talking about in this show. So go do that. 
Yeah, can't wait. I you're right that maybe not everybody's watched it yet, but you know what? By the time we talk about it on the next show, if you haven't watched episode one a week and a half after it came out, at that point, you're just going to have to put on the earmuffs and avoid spoilers because next week we are going to talk about it and break it down. So, yeah. On a scale of one to 10, how excited are you? 15. Oof. Yeah. Is this the most you've been excited for a Star Wars show above any of the others? <laughs> I was pretty excited for Kenobi, to, to be honest. And I thought the first watch through Kenobi was great. Second time I watched it, there was like, eh, it was okay. It was a little short. Mm-hmm. Um, man, because I don't think I was this excited for Andor. I think Andor was our thing that like slowly built up. And by the time it was over, you mean you were like, holy shit, this show is amazing. Oh, and the, fir- the first three or four episodes of Andor, I was very underwhelmed. I was like, this kind of is not great like i'm I'm still gonna watch it but i'm very uninvested and then by the end i was like okay yeah this is really good in terms of the last calendar year i would say house of the dragon was number one this might be number two to be honest i would All say right, so, you're, so you're fired up i'm i am pretty fired up i think it's i think it's gonna be great it's gonna be like because the problem with kenobi is like they were they were trying to just make a short story there was no like the background was in the movies and they were trying to send it off so nothing got ruined in the middle three movies of the Star Wars set of nine. The the first trilogy, the first trilogy that came out. But this has like, like a, I forget when Rebels first came out, but I'm going to say like decade, uh, like a decade of, or actually probably more because there's legend stuff in here too. But like a decades of backstory leading up to the series of things that can happen and characters that we'll see and all these things. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time learning all this stuff to finally have it pay off and do a live action television show is pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. It's good to get the cartoon characters that you watch in Clone Wars and Rebels out into live action. So that's probably the part I'm most excited about. To our listeners that are Star Wars fans, make sure to watch next Friday's show. Tune back in. And you can follow along right with us because we'll be talking about it. And TJ and I cannot wait. I think that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon. That's the audio side. If you do that, make sure to follow us, download the episode, and give us that five-star review. Five-star review in the download really helps us out. So make sure to go do that. Go to the video side too, guys, and check us out on YouTube. And if you do that, hit subscribe like, comment, turn the notification bells on. That way you know when we post. And then if you head to social media, which as you know, we are always active, always doing unique content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.